even though we are making films about marginalized communities it had to be designed around their agency their dignity and their power Hey podcast listeners, normally Sky and I would introduce this episode, but because of the nature of this conversation, we thought it would be more appropriate to bring on one of the show's amazing producers, Abby, who is based in India. Hey Jenny and hey podcasters. I'm Abhishek, I go by Abby, and I'm a freelance journalist based in India. Today we are talking to Rintu Thomas and Sushmit Ghosh, who are filmmakers who made this film called Writing with Fire. which is about a grassroots level newsroom in India which is led entirely by women from the dalit community which is the community at the bottom of India's caste system and it's a beautiful film that's something that I really enjoyed watching yeah i loved it i mean it's such a feat of independent scrappy verite filmmaking and it's had this like meteoric rise i mean it was nominated for an oscar the first indian feature documentary to be nominated for an oscar but unfortunately there was a shadow that was cast over all of its success which is that the subjects of the documentary wrote an open letter saying that they had been misrepresented so we wanted to have rintu and shishmit on the show to hear about how they made this film how they were able to gain access and trust with this vulnerable population and keep them safe but also how they dealt with the criticism that came from these subjects after the fact and the controversy is much more nuanced than it appears in the press yeah definitely because as you mentioned it's much more than what was reported at that time and i'm really looking forward to listening to what they have to say So with that this is Rintu Thomas and Shushmit Ghosh and you're listening to Rough Cut. Thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. I think you may be our first guest from India or guests from India, which is very exciting and long overdue. <laughs> This is probably the question you always get any time you do any kind of Q&A about writing with fire. But how did you find this amazing group of women and what made you want to do a documentary about them yeah this is the question that you get asked the most and and you're trying to be like okay how do i say the same thing differently um we saw a photo story about them on the internet and um what spoke to us very strongly is a newspaper run entirely by women from what is understood as marginalized communities um in uttar pradesh so all of these were like operative terms uh women journalists in rural uttar pradesh is not something that's heard of and and women running their own um media news outlet was also something that came as a real surprise given that we're all part of the same media landscape and understand the gender caste class uh obstacles that stop women being on top of the production of news So we reached out to them and uh, we got invited to be a part of a very very interesting meeting that the reporting team was doing in Uttar Pradesh discussing this pivot from print to digital just being in that room was very energizing you had rural women most of whom who had never even seen or touched a smartphone making this decision around we need to switch because the times are changing and we need to evolve with the times and there was a lot of nervous energy there was a lot of excitement but 
it just felt like we'd walked into a beautiful cusp in time, like the perfect space for a film team or an outsider to walk into a story because of this transition in time. And we were welcomed because they were also had the sense of, we want our story to be told. And our ask was, we just want to spend more time with you and let's see where it goes. If it doesn't go anywhere, fine, we'll all just hang. But uh, it was just like this beautiful desire to spend more time together. Also, like what really appealed to us was that it was also linked to our own preoccupations with the kind of stories that we had already been telling folks who are operating from the margins and creating tectonic shifts for their communities or really setting sort of templates for change. And because they had existed for 14 years as a print news making institution and making this leap in the dark to digital, where most of the women had never touched a smartphone, didn't understand what the internet was. We knew the the fiber for sort of something interesting was in place. And also this whole idea of it being like a deeply intersectional story, because you're talking about technology and gender and caste and politics and framing it in the context of you know, very vibrantly changing India. So so the elements were there. Yeah. And I want to go off of that with another question. But first, can you give a little context for what Uttar Pradesh is and kind of set the stage for the kind of conditions that this newspaper was existing in? I mean, Uttar Pradesh is almost like a country within the country. It's India's largest state in terms of population, more than 200 million people. That makes it politically a very important state for all political parties. The maximum number of seats to the parliament in India are from Uttar Pradesh. And it's a very complex sort of like, you know, socioeconomic system within India. And the women are operating from, or at least then were operating from a region which historically within Uttar Pradesh recorded maximum levels of violence against women, against the Dalit community. So for a newspaper to be birthed in this region in itself was nothing short of phenomenal, run by and led by Dalit women. And philosophically, as storytellers, we believe that stories need to be centered on the idea of hope and change, irrespective of where they are. And so the context might be gloomy and depressing, but each of the anchors of our films has essentially been sort of like that silver lining for us and and hence the need to tell their story to the world. So just to sort of like give you context, Uttar Pradesh is the hotbed of Hindutva politics. So when we started filming Writing with Fire in 2016, Uttar Pradesh was not a BJP state. And in 2017 came to power a man who's a Hindu monk, an absolute right-wing radical. And we saw the politics of Uttar Pradesh shift radically. And in effect, the politics of India also shifted over the years. And that is the context in which Khawal Heria sort of, for us, was fascinating because here you have a news institution run not only by women, but women coming from significantly marginalized group, literally at the bottom of India's socioeconomic pyramid, who are inverting that paradigm of power. Most mainstream media in India has now been corporatized, where the corporates are running the media hand in glove with the government. So you really don't know what the news is or what the authentic story is. 
So to then have like something that was a social experiment 20 years ago, growing and shifting from print to digital was something that interested us because we saw the power of this story, not only for a home audience, but for a global audience, because it's a story that is universal, the crumbling of the fourth estate, uh, the dangers to democracies across the planet, and the power of an individual to create change. So yeah, that was the context to when we got in and to the region itself. Mm, thank you for explaining that for our mostly Western audience. So what you're describing is you go to this meeting, there's this group of women journalists who are talking about this shift to digital. I don't think it's the first scene in the film, but it's very early in the film that they're talking about that. You see that meeting. Is that the same time that you first met them? Like, did you bring cameras and just start filming? Or was this later on that this meeting in the actual film happened? We had a few meetings with the team where we really discussed our intentions of why this story or the possibility of a story like this interests us. Um, and uh, I think that's a very important space to hold right at the beginning so that it's clear people can ask each other tough questions. You know, you're going in with a certain amount of curiosity and so are the people um, who you're meeting. They want to know where you are coming from and why you want to do this. So the fact that this will be entirely independent and that the fundraising or the onus of doing this is entirely on us and and the framing of it you know we had an opportunity to talk about how we were not interested in in this being a story about you know women who find themselves in a situation that's tough and therefore the language of being victims and so i think that was a good opportunity to to have these candid conversations and usually we spend a lot of time uh, with people looking for who could be the possible characters, um, who comes with the interest to open up uh, their lives. So that takes a lo much longer time. But because this meeting was happening and they were just like, do you want to bring your cameras? I think it was just like one of those moments in the life of, of a documentary where you just at the right time, um, there is openness uh, from people to be filmed. And I think that's the conversation we had. If we don't go ahead, we'll just give you the footage, you know. And um, the women, you know, after the initial introductions and they understood why they were there, they kind of like took off because it was a very impassioned um, meeting and a discussion. And it also gave us, as a filmmaker, you're also looking for, you know, are people comfortable in front of the camera? Do they want to be just themselves when the cameras are rolling. And that was a good cue being in that room for about three, four hours. Um, and so it was very comfortable. I think um, it usually doesn't happen that you get your characters and then you get a scene that will go straight into the film in the very first day that you're rolling a camera. But I think it just, it just was meant to be. Mm, I love that. You know, obviously this is a very vulnerable population that you're filming with. Were you ever afraid that following these women around with cameras would bring any kind of undue attention on them? And um, were you ever concerned for their safety, just, you know, putting this extra attention on them in their community? That's a good question. I, I think we thought about this, but once we hit the ground running with them, we realized that they were very well known within the regions that they were operating in. And in fact, because they were working in media dark regions of the state, they were possibly the only journalists going into these villages. And so they were very 
well known but but in spaces sort of like say for instance police stations or you know when you're meeting powerful men in positions of power like politicians they were always curious about why you know filmmakers from the city were making a film on Khabar Leheria like why would you want to make a film on these journalists I think that also you know this lack of taking everything seriously just allowed us to continue working on the ground with them hmm that brings up something i was curious about too and i think a lot of filmmakers struggle with this is like you know you spend time with your subjects and then you get to the point where you're sitting down with them and you're like i want to do this project i want to make a film and i think for a lot of participants of documentaries or subjects they're like why would you want to make a film about me why is my life interesting i don't know if that was their question for you when you sat down with them but how do you explain to them why this would be interesting for an indian audience and a, a worldwide audience we've had those conversations with people so many times but there was a key difference here because the participants here were very media aware and in many ways were transitioning from the language of print to the language of video which is really our language of storyboards and scripts uh, and shots um in front of our cameras and so um they they understood the power of having a story on them as they were for themselves finding the power of being in front of the camera and behind the camera another aspect was they were used to being filmed there were films that were made on them shots um and so there was an understanding of what that means but i think the biggest curiosity for them was why is this taking so much time because they were used to like the the rigor of a short film uh and in their own production cycle you go film and the footage goes to the producers it's edited and it's out on on youtube or their social media in so days. in in like 3 to 5 days so when this was taking like months and and eventually years they were just like <laughs> are you getting what you want yeah why are you still here <laughs> are you confused and so didn't yeah <laughs> you don't want to make films <laughs> and for us as well there was like you know uh we come from the rigor of short filmmaking almost our entire work up until then was in the space of uh, shorts and so the time that it would take to have a story that lends itself to a feature we even we didn't have an idea so we thought 2 years but eventually it panned out to be in, like you know the film to come into being in 5 years um and then these are conversation i think that you that we constantly have and it was uh, useful because they understood the technical language also where we were coming from very different kinds of participants honestly mm. there's parts of the film where you follow some of your subjects home and into their personal lives and home lives how were you able to get that access and i'm sure that you probably got questions from them of like hey you're making a film about the newspaper i work at like why are you following me home and why is this important how did you approach that with your participants we got invited to mira's place the first day we met her I also feel it's a very I don't know if this is the right way of saying it or not but a very Indian thing where he's just like oh why don't you come home and have some tea with us meet the family Sure this was about a news institution in transition and growing but that was not the only story that we were interested in we were interested in the women how is it that they negotiate these 
power structures really within their homes and outside their homes what are the conversations that they're having with their daughters so for some people like Mira, for instance it was very natural she was just like come home for someone like a sunita sunita is the one of the youngest journalists in the film and um, so she said you can shoot me in my professional space but you know i'm not very keen to be shot in at home and we said totally fine um, you know and we kept filming the cases that she was doing but it's almost after a year of of being with all of them that one evening she just sprung a surprise and said do you guys want to come home maybe we can uh, you know have a meal together come meet my parents and he was just like oh okay sure <laughs> you know because intimacy is not a stylistic choice it's a beautiful consequence of building trust and um we just gave it the time that it took I think also to be able to acknowledge that there is always a power dynamic at play when you're behind the camera. It is a very skewed relationship. And so how do you find strategies to equalize it? And in this case, we were working with media makers who were discovering that power dynamic because it's very different being a journalist using pen and paper because that allows a certain anonymity with your own participants. But when you have a video camera, especially when you're interviewing quote unquote subjects who come from a space of deep vulnerability say a victim of sexual violence or a subject like you know a, a police officer or a politician who would typically not want to give you a quote for paper but doesn't know what to do because the camera's pointed at them you know so they also were discovering sort of like you know how layered the process can be and i can break it into sort of three steps one of course is trust building takes time and one of the things that we typically always did was we would try to not always film as tempting as it was there were moments where we were just like this is great whip out the camera but we wouldn't do that um we wouldn't in the early days film in their personal spaces with their families and the, the second part being like you know this whole idea that consent isn't just about like signing off with the institution or with participants that we have your consent it's an ongoing process in the case of like sunita we had her consent to film her in her professional space but it took almost a year before she invited us home but we didn't film uh we were just hanging out with the family and eventually she was just like do you want to shoot my parents and i think that the third part essentially being also to be willing to as storytellers learn and unlearn and challenge these deep-seated unconscious biases that we also all carry you know in our case around class and caste and or sometimes hubri of i know it i've done this across the country so i'm bringing that sort of understanding and knowledge into this space but to be able to break that down as well and i think all of those things really worked and and that allowed for like the film to look very intimate because you know the women then gave us the access that filmmakers really dream about. Hmm. You've mentioned a couple times this balance between choosing when to turn the camera off and when to start filming. And I assume a lot of that just comes down to like instinct and like a gut check. But can you walk us through how you make that decision? Like what you're weighing in your mind when you decide to turn the camera off? I think it's mostly about comfort. Do you feel comfortable capturing that moment? um and it's directly linked to the question of does this serve the story and so if there is a moment of i'm not sure 
then you need to fully own that space and think why because it's a too personal or be too risky uh see it's just going to interrupt what's happening in front of me you know it's just anyway filmmaking is such an act of of especially non-fiction filmmaking is is an act of disruption um and and so do i want the camera to be again just a, a, another disruptor in this moment so those are questions that you know that that come to my mind at least when i'm debating and then the most important question is can this film live without this if it can then it's a very clear choice um and if it's in the gray then you have a conversation and i find it always helpful to have very open honest conversations with participants and give them you know right at the beginning the comfort to say no because that gets a bit tricky because you start becoming friends there's a lot of trust that's built and then even they feel pressure that how do i say no you know these people have landed up they're working so hard so if you really say in the beginning and and kind of like reiterate it through the process that it's okay if you feel like this time the camera shouldn't be rolled you know just let us know that it's absolutely fine um but there's sometimes when reality is playing out and they don't have the time to pause and say that oh you know don't film this then we've had conversations where they've told us <clears throat> um that you know you've shot that that day i just feel like you know i won't be comfortable with that being a part of the film and you know none of those scenes have made it to the film at all i mean they were not even considered um and so that kind of honesty always helps and then um it's also tied to the understanding of consent as a process because um we signed off with the organization but with each of the women we wanted to only sign off at the end of the filming process before the editings began so on the very last day of the filming process we gave those uh, consent forms in hindi because by then they had full understanding of what all has been shot with them for 4 years and so we believe that that is a more informed way of taking consent and so they could read discuss and then sign off so it's it's really a lot of we put in a lot of thought and care in making sure that uh, the participants knew what our process was and at what point could they pause and say you know i don't want to do this or i'm totally fine doing this so we would check in constantly but there was a lot of filming in the beginning like you know when you're going in blind into a story typically you end up filming a lot and i think i think after the first year once we had a sense of the beats for each of the characters we were filming less and less and being much more specific about when the camera would come out yeah i'm just also like thinking it's a wonderful question because this was also not conceived in our minds as a journalism film and by that i mean usually in a film about journalists it's this one case that the entire team is unraveling exploring and you know and, and the kind of emotional and professional challenges that uh, brings up and there, there's some kind of a payoff at the end or it's about a personality uh, a, a journalist who the film is is exploring you know you have maria ressa at the heart of uh, a thousand cuts and as the example of the first kind of film where an entire team is working on something a recent example is the collective so that's usually been the narrative style and here it was just so complex because we wanted to explore the inner lives of these women 
as much as their outer lives were important to the story. And so in many cases, I'm not sure if it was super clear in our own minds because you're trying to do so many things. In retrospect, your own uh, you know decisions that you make become clearer. But somehow, these are also journalists who come from the communities that they report on. Hmm. And so having a part of the journalist's personality come through in the cases that they were reporting, that became also a very important ingredient in this story. So even apart from just during filming, while editing, the choice of the cases that we made, because there were so many that, you know, we covered alongside with them, the connector was, am I able to explore a part of the personality of this character along with the the details and the socio-political cultural complexities that the story that she's reporting on what is that relationship because at the heart of all of this is that when you have journalists from the community reporting on their own community and sometimes these cases that they were reporting were challenges in their own lives And so what does that tell us about both the character as well as her social milieu? So that is what we tried to bring in. Hmm. And that's kind of an interesting conversation that's happening in the documentary community too, is like authorship and the filmmaker's background and how that plays into how they tell the story. In your case, you guys are like both insiders and outsiders in the fact that you're Indian, but you're not part of the Dalit community. What do you think that being an insider in the sense that you are Indian, what do you think that brought to the filmmaking process, if anything? And do you think that an outsider, let's say a filmmaker from a different country who wasn't familiar with Indian culture, do you think that they could have made this film? I mean, it wouldn't be the exact same film as you, I'm sure, but do you think they could have made a good film, I guess? Uh, Yeah, I think that would have been a different story. I think if I were to dial back when we were growing up or when we were in film school, the kind of stories, specifically in the world of nonfiction, that were getting celebrated in the West, were typically, you know, built around this idea of the poor Indian that needs to be saved, you know, this very colonial gaze. And it kind of sort of like can be a bit infuriating to watch that sort of narrative of our people being peddled uh, and celebrated. And I think that when we started sort of producing our own shots, that's the kind of politics that we came in with very strongly that even though we are making films about say marginalized communities whether that be a farmer living in south india or a gender non-conforming artist or you know a refugee rights advocate it had to be designed around their agency their dignity and their power so when we started filming with the journalists, it kind of was a natural fit with our own interests in storytelling and how we saw these women and what these women essentially were doing on the ground and how they saw themselves as agents of change. And I think what definitely uh, made it easy was the fact that as an Indian, I'm very aware of the cultural nuances and a lot of things are unsaid there are gestures, there are things that you do and you don't do, which someone who's a foreigner to the context would not have a sense of. So yeah, I think that, of course, is the benefit of being an Indian telling a story from India. 
but yeah we were also outsiders as you say to to the class the caste uh, in my case the gender context as well as the region where uh, the women came from but i think having spent nearly 13 years making films we were conscious of not parachuting into people's lives already assuming we know what the story is and this is integral to our process that people are represented in their fullest selves well rounded and explored in all their deep complexities mm. wow what a great answer to that question you really covered all the bases there so this film was nominated for an oscar which is amazing because this is your first feature right yes our first feature how do you think it got on the radar of folks in the academy i mean usually films are running a, a very expensive oscar campaign i assume it's probably they found out about it through sundance but did you have an Oscar campaign and, and were you expecting that nomination? When the film premiered at Sundance, I think collectively, all of us, um, the participants, the crew, like all of us were just like, this is fantastic. It's the absolute kind of platform that you want to birth a film into the world. So we felt like, Sushmit and I, we felt that our job here is done because we've directed this film, produced it, edited it, I did the location sound, he also shot it, like, what more can you really do? This is it. Um, and so we had a US sales agent um, and, and everybody was confident that, you know, the film will be received well. Um, and it did, it picked up two awards, including an audience award, which is, which is such a prized one for any filmmaker. But, you know, even after three months after this, um, there were no offers for world sales. There was no big studio that came and took the film and, and said we would do a global release. So then it just felt like we would have to bring in our DIY capabilities, which have been sharpened over the years of making nonfiction and distributing nonfiction in India. Um, we come from that culture and pedigree of you do everything on your own, including making sure that people watch your film. Um, at this time, we also discussed with the film's participants checking in if they'd want to be a part of this distribution journey, because mostly what happens is that it's a very different aspect from just making the film. Um, and mostly participants don't know where the film is going, what's happening. So we felt like the film will create opportunities for all of us to be a spotlit. And at some point in about, I think, October of 2021, a lot of filmmakers that we had met along the way were just like, aren't you guys doing an awards campaign? And we felt, yeah, I mean, the film is being entered to awards. Of course we're doing. And they said, no, they meant like the Academy Awards campaign. And we had no idea that you had to campaign. We were just like, we don't know how this works. So let's start talking to filmmakers who've done like bootstrap campaigns. And that really helped because it was really about making the film known um, and uh, raising the profile of the film. And so it just really became a space where we were just like, let's ask people to give us 90 minutes of their time. Because when they watch the film, we're confident that they'll be affected by it. Uh, and what also helped was a theatrical release in the US. So we have found a US distributor who had a very limited but very good theatrical release in the US. So we used that momentum to really talk about the film, put it out there, invite people to screenings. And just, you know, it became a very word of mouth um, campaign powered by people. Hmm. 
After the film was nominated for an Oscar, some of the subjects wrote a letter saying that they had been misrepresented. And I don't want to harp on this too much because I don't want your film to be defined by this because it sounds like you were bringing the subjects into every part of the filmmaking process and being very transparent. But I do just want to give you the floor to comment on that if there's anything that you'd like to say. Yeah, I mean, so one of the things that we were also doing was running an impact campaign for the journalists. Because for us, this outward facing strategy with the film, where it was doing its festival runs, but we were also curating panels, exploring new partnerships for them. I think with the film sort of like picking up through the whole of last year, we were able to generate significant resources for the journalists who've now been able to expand beyond Uttar Pradesh, which is a state where they worked in for nearly 20 years to three more states. Uh, They've almost doubled their team size. They're doing really well. And they journeyed with the film for 14 months, joining us at all of these panels. So it was shocking, no less heartbreaking, when they decided to suddenly pivot and distance themselves. And I think that, you know, briefly, the answer to this lies in the timeline of events. So all the way from Sundance in Jan 2021, where the film premiered and, you know, one of the protagonists of the film joined us for the Q&A, through to the nomination, which uh, was in Feb of this year. Um, Things were fine. Uh, They were with us. They were celebrating the journey of the film. The world was celebrating them. Interestingly, after this mid-Feb nomination, the BJP uh, came back to power in early March uh, in Uttar Pradesh. And this is when uh, the journalists reached out to us and they wanted us to essentially cull out uh, key scenes from the film, which showed a lot of their political work in Uttar Pradesh. And I mean, I couldn't underscore the irony more over here where you have independent journalists asking independent filmmakers in a democracy to censor themselves. So we engaged with them in this conversation. It was important for us to also understand how best could we bring this film back home? Because I think that was something that we as filmmakers and they as journalists wanted. And um, while we were in these conversations to figure out what's the best way to bring a version of the film to India, Six days before the Academy Awards, they went to press uh, saying that the film essentially misrepresents their work because it focuses too much on their reporting against one political party, of course, alluding to the BJP. And strangely, uh, in the statement, they go on to say that they are friends with all political parties, including the BJP. And a day later, a couple of the journalists landed up on a, a popular sort of like program where they said that the film portrays Dalit women as parlous. What this statement did was it led to speculation in India because the film hadn't been released. But those people who had seen the film in India uh, or Indians who had seen the film in, in, in the festival circuit were just baffled because if anything, This film is imbued with the power of, you know, what it means to be a woman reporter speaking truth to power. Um, But I think that it tells you everything that you need to know about where we are in India 
right now. We've dropped significantly in the World Press Freedom Index. We are at 150 out of 190 countries on all social, economic, political parameters. Yeah, it's not looking very good. But I think that personally speaking, my advice would be, I think you put in your heart and your soul to make a film with the best of intentions. And once the film goes out into the world, it picks on a life of its own. You know, it's 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 like a child that it essentially graduates and then goes out into the world. And you can only look back and sort of like with a certain amount of pride at what he or she's doing. But I think it's really, really important for filmmakers to explain to their participants what this means and what this does not mean. Um, there is always an assumption that there's a lot of money coming in. Um, there is a lot of fame. Uh, there are many projects in the pipeline for filmmakers. So how do participants benefit? So on and so forth. And I think that, you know, breaking the myth of what an Academy nomination is, is very important. I think my only advice would be continue to keep checking in. For us, it was important that the journalists were a part of the film going out into the world because it served as a protective function for their work and allowed them to grow in India as well. Um, yeah, do you, do you have something to add? It continues to be um, a painful part of the overall journey. I think it's important uh, to understand that the time that you rolled your first shot to the time that the, this particular film got nominated, the world had changed. The country uh, was going through a lot of, it continues to go through a lot of fundamental change um, in its fabric. Uh, the organization itself is going through a lot of uh, change in its leadership. Um, and, and so lots of things are in flux. And uh, so by the time the film becomes uh, you know an academy nominated piece it's a completely different being it's 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 in a world which is very different from what it was conceived into the world of hollywood um, and and the academy awards coming from the world of indie filmmaking which is so small and intimate and you know centers a, like people and relationships there's a clash there and that clash can be very chaotic if you don't create or hold the space uh, for very honest, open conversations. And uh, yeah, as you said, I don't think I want this film to be defined by this moment because it's much more than that. But yes, it is It is also a part of its journey and its outcome. And we feel like if this can be understood also as a cautionary tale for all filmmakers who are making their labors of love, then there is some good that has come out of our pain. <laughs> mm. Yeah, thank you for providing that context. I mean, I think a lot of our audience and, and also the Western audience that is watching the film isn't aware of the political and press freedom context in India. So I think that's really helpful. Thank you so much again for taking the time to do this. Thanks really for doing nice this, chatting Jenny. with you. Thank you. Bye. Rough Cuts hosted and produced by Jenny Butler and Sky Dylan Robbins. Abby Kittengor, Amy DiGiacomo, and Kaylee Fox Shannon are our booking producers. Audrey Horowitz is our editor, and our original music is by Zach Wright. And this podcast is part of the Video Consortium, a global nonprofit media org that connects the world's nonfiction filmmakers and video journalists to tell bold stories that catalyze positive change. You can become a member and join our global community of nonfiction storytellers at videoconsortium.org. 
And if you like the show, you can follow us on Instagram at at Rough Cut Podcast or leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. These are nonprofit endeavors with a mission to democratize the industry playing field for all. So if you want to support VC and this podcast, we would love if you'd head to videoconsortium.org to donate. Thanks for listening and see you next time.